This is Fam Electric Ghost, and we are live on our Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook channels with Necessary Noise. And you're in uh, Los Angeles right now? No, I'm actually in like the Bay Area. So, oh, Bay Area. San Francisco okay. area. So, oh, that's cool. Well, you're in California. <laughs> yeah, I'm in California. It's pretty sunny out here right now. So. Yeah, we're we're in New England. We're getting ready to get a snowstorm. So, oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm originally from Iowa and uh yeah it's really cold there. I just talked to my mom today and she's like it's really cold here. I'm like it's not cold here at all. So Yeah, you never really get that. Yeah. <laughs> so just to start off, we're going to do a full kind of interview. This is what we do. Uh we interview emerging and um indie artists from around the world. And uh we are like live on those channels as I said. Um uh, but you'll see scrolling below we, in order to, to to pay for us to do this. Uh, we have sponsors. One of them is an iOS app called Newsly, which reads the news back to you in a natural voice. And so you can stop scrolling and start listening. If you use coupon code GHOST2021, and that's still right, uh, you'll get one month free uh, premium subscription. So, you know, stop scrolling, start listening, check it out, use the GHOST2020 code, and you'll get that one month free. And then the other sponsor that we have is uh as a company that we've uh, been working with and they sponsored our festival is double jack online out of europe and they do an online uh lottery if you take your cell phone now you can use that scan code and they do nft so you can convert your art from your band into nfts and monetize it um they can also do what they call um crowdfunding so they can crowdfund your project if you're trying to get like on the road if you try to do an album they can work with you they can create a scan code for you that will actually um allow you to uh you know use uh that that code is my scan code and they can create a url as you see below like a double jack family electric ghost and you get um passive income and you have a screen you can meet with our marketing director we did like an online info commercial for our um festival a couple of weeks ago so we can get you into that and so that's that's what it's all about with um some of the sponsors and we'll get back to the the primary reason we're doing this is to talk to necessary noise and we're gonna actually we do have a banner for you the one we're using right now i think is your facebook oh okay cool which you see down there i don't even know oh. what it looks like so, oh their facebook okay cool yeah yeah just your banner yeah <laughs> um so so <laughs> the next thing we like to do is before we get into like this behind the music type of um interview is we like people to actually you know hear the band that we're talking to so yeah, we've got queued up like a cover you did a cover yeah, I did a cover early last year with a couple of um, a couple of dudes that are my friends uh, had filmed it. It was just kind of a spontaneous thing, and it turned into a bigger thing of like, "Hey, this is kind of cool. We should like take some recording." Uh, we I was recording at the time the actual tracks, and I was like, "Oh, let's take some footage from that and splice it into here for this cover." And yeah, it's cool. It's just a little one-off thing. So yeah we just get a get a, a picture of what you uh look like and sound like so before uh i think we think that that's that's really cool because we used to just do audio podcast and we couldn't do it yeah <clears throat> we, we tried to do it and we didn't do it that well so now at least being able to do the youtube videos a lot better so i'm gonna put you on mute and we're gonna play the whole video and we'll come back and cool. do the, the full um broadcast interview thank you cool here we go so you're on mute for now and then we're gonna kick it off right now. 
had a dream. I got everything I wanted. Now what you think? And if I'm being honest, it might have been a nightmare to anyone who might care. Thought I could fly, so I stepped off the golden. Nobody cried. Nobody even knows. I saw them standing right there. I kind of thought they might care. I had a dream. I got everything I wanted. But when I wake up, I see you with me, and you say. As long as I'm here, no one can hurt you. Don't wanna lie here, but you can learn to. If I could change the way that you see yourself, would I wonder why here? They don't deserve you. I tried to scream, but my head was underwater. They call you weak, like you're not somebody's daughter. Could have been a nightmare. Kind of thought they might care. And it feels like yesterday was a year ago, but I don't wanna let anybody know. Everybody wants something from me now, and I don't wanna let 'em down. I had a dream. I got everything I wanted, but when I wake up, I see. You with me, and you say, as long as I'm here, no one can hurt you. Don't wanna lie here, but you can learn to. If I could change the way that you see yourself.
So we're back. I can hear you, right? <laughs> yes. Can you hear yeah. me? Yeah. So that's that's beautiful. I think that's a really good representation of your sound. Um, maybe. Actually, to be honest with you, it's maybe, maybe it's not. not but, but it's, it's a cool. Um, it's a it's a cool, cool performance, though. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely something different. Like um, mostly my style is more like I would say like rock, pop, punk sometimes. But yeah, mm -hmm. like that's kind Thank of the more stuff i write but then towards the end of my recording stuff i ended up doing a lot more acoustic and stuff kind of like that and incorporating it with it so but yeah, yeah that's good, cool. good for an album though because it shows like if you if you're gonna yeah. do like if you're gonna not just do singles um if you do an album or ep then it shows like the breadth of your capability when you can do like that kind of kind of intimate singer songwriter type of thing yeah, that's a, actually a huge part of the records that I'm doing. Like, it's a concept thing, and I, I find it... I love when artists are able to do, like, different versatile things, you know, and still have, like, a brand behind it and an idea. Yeah. So I tried it's to do that as school. possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, I'm, I'm a child of the 70s. I'm 54, right? So I grew yeah. up listening to A-Tracks and vinyl, and, you know, and, and the album was the way I, I music was delivered to me. You know that yeah. that's I'm a I'm album guy. Even though we're in a spot Spotify playlist world, mm -hmm. I, I still try to do concept albums and like okay, well, peg fans get me, but maybe not bit more than that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I think it's cool. I do see it coming back. I mean, it's weird. It's like in the hip hop genre, there's a lot of people doing concepts. Um, the butterfly i mean this, i know that was like what like eight nine years ago at this point but like that was well, huge. Yeah, tyler like tyler the creator tyler, every yeah. album is is a concept you know yep <laughs> um yeah, he's but, a great um, example you know yeah that's what I'm, yeah you can like when they get people who tell you like you can't get people to listen to albums it's like well in hip-hop people are listening to entire albums yeah you know so so it is it's just like maybe some genres they're not into it uh it's more single driven but I digress. Uh, what I like to do yeah. is I like to talk <laughs> about like an artist from the beginning. So one of the sure. first questions I always ask is like, when did you first get into music? Like at what age did you start like in, in the music? Um, even if it's like just, uh, you know, just an entry level like event. So usually I would say like fifth or sixth grade, but I actually like not even a month or two ago, I found a photo of myself when I was like two or three playing drums. And it made me um, remember a little bit that like, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I've always really been like into music. Even when I was like two or three, my dad would take me to like churches and stuff or like mm -hmm. uh, he's a physical therapist and he would take me to different spots and I would sing and like he would like play the Everly Brothers or Beatles and stuff and make me pick out the <laughs> harmonies. I was like a three-year-old, a four-year-old. That's really weird. But yeah. like, I would I would recognize harmonies. And that's another crucial aspect. Like my other co-engineer um, or engineer, Sean, did the same thing. Like, we just love picking out harmonies and looking at melodies and how to deconstruct them. So I'd say very early on. Um, yeah, just having those kind of memories of like singing harmonies drums and then i refused to play guitar up until about fifth or sixth grade and then my friend did it and guitar hero came out and i was oh, like they, they yeah. started doing it on the p on the, on, the, on the gamer version of it and then it yeah i did guitar hero and i'm like oh i could learn this song so yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. That's interesting because I'm a keyboardist, but I'm a frustrated guitar player because i have a brother right i've got yeah. two brothers and my younger brother 
you know, he picked up the guitar and he immediately could do it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I couldn't do it. I tried to do it. I had one. And then I, I picked up like a keyboard and I'm like, oh, I can do this better. I just naturally had an aptitude for the keys. And so, That's but cool. the weird thing is because I wanted to be a guitar player, I try to get my Moogs and my Rollins and all my, my hardware sense to channel guitar type things. And so I have this kind of punk aesthetic in my music. That's cool. Because I'm a frustrated guitar player. Yeah. <laughs> guitar uh, is a different kind of instrument sometimes than piano. I, I did actually, now that you're saying that, um, I did piano first before guitar and I did okay at it. It was like fourth grade or something. And, um, I see like I should have looked at these questions beforehand because I kind of like don't remember some stuff from my childhood like all the time but like I played French horn and then I played piano and I was like okay at both of them but then like mm -hmm. guitar hit me and you know it was a little different so it was kind of the opposite of <laughs> what you had so you're better yeah, I mean, I actually started in the woodwinds I mean I was a, yeah. I was a flute clarinet sax that's cool um, but then I like I liked music, right? And I'm like, well, I could write jazz, yeah. Or I could write classical type stuff, but like I like the Beatles, right? I like the Stones. I like Pink Floyd. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't really write Pink Floyd on my clarinet. Yeah. <laughs> so well, you uh, technically could if you listen. <laughs> I could, but not, I, not, I, uh, I tried. <laughs> you know, but I was like, you know, I need a synth or something. Um, and then yeah. I really got into hardware sense because this is like, you know, 78, 79 and right. there weren't any DAWs, right? So you'd go get a Tascam or a Fostex yep. and you would get like your guitar or your synth and you just layer. Yep. And that's what we, and I still actually like to do that rather than using a DAW. Yeah. Just because that's what I started with. And, yeah. you know, but I understand that like, it's a DAW age, but, um, We'll get to that question later, but oh yeah, I so, think I saw that. But how long have you been actually working on music? Once you you found that you had like a talent for it, when did you would say that you actually started working on it? <laughs> Another funny thing that just came up this last week was uh, I was I was asked to kind of start a band with my friends in about I want to say sixth seventh grade, yeah seventh grade probably. And um, we started like a punk ska band in high school in Cedar Falls, Iowa, called the Karate Lincolns. And we weren't the greatest. <laughs> we thought we were the greatest, but I definitely wasn't the greatest. And uh, yeah, I was a little seventh grade egomaniac. And I was doing most of the singing work. And then my other friend did some of it and guitar. But I, I learned how to play guitar and sing at the same time, which was like, I remember when I first... I don't even want to say auditioned for the band or whatever, because they couldn't have somebody sing or something. Uh, I, I didn't know how to write a melody at all. Like, I mean, you, you kind of get thrown into the fire. Like, then that's, I guess, how I best operate is just, you know, kind of do, going in there and doing it. Just doing it. Yeah, I, I think that's the cool thing when I started, you know, with my band, with, you know, garage basement band. And we had this guy that was a jazz drummer in the in, in school. He played mm -hmm. in the jazz band. And I convinced him, like, I want to do, like, a punk band because I was really super into the class and and Joy Division. Right? Yeah. It was, like, 79. And I'm like, Joy Division in the class, let's do something like that. Like, let's, like, try that's to mix, cool. like, keyboards because that's the early, like, new wave with, like, the kind of punk attitude that Joe Strummer had. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. that's what I like. Right. And so then I just, and, and <laughs> you didn't really, my whole thing about Joe Strummer was like, you don't have to have pitch. Yeah. You, know, you, just, you just do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty punk. 
<laughs> yeah. So that that was like like that's the one thing I liked about the punk aesthetic is like then you didn't have to try to be have a perfect voice like a Motown like a any of Barry yeah. Gordy's like guys you know you're not gonna get to that level like so punk gave you a permission that oh yeah it could be like a CBGB moment yeah I'm just gonna come in there like Lou Reed or come yeah. in there like you know, like like Joe Strummer and just come at that perspective you know yeah definitely more punk you know for sure <laughs> that's cool so so when did you start actually realizing that you could write your own music because like there's one thing like a lot of people can get into music and they they become session musicians they are in yeah. classical um orchestras or they but they don't write their own music like they they, they work with other people and, and maybe they they add to other people's music but they're really not primarily a singer songwriter what made you want to be right. like a singer songwriter um same kind of answer but a little different which is adding on to that whole um i was thrown into the fire of it like hey write a melody for this we don't have anything i was like okay i don't know how to do this but let's do this and progressively you know sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade i got better at it and then one of the last songs we wrote for that karate lincoln's album <laughs> i hate saying that name um for that album was like more of a progressive punk thing which is what i'm into now and it was like you know different what would define what I call the necessary noise, like trademark thing, which is it sounds kind of easy to the listener. I always want it to be kind of more approachable, mm -hmm. but it's really hard for the musician. And my live guys can back me up on that is like, what the heck? This is really, really like a hard part to play or something weird or difficult. Like Steely or Dan hard. <laughs> yeah, Steely Dan is quite a musician as well. Yeah, but yeah. um, yeah, it's like that's when I realized like, okay, I can start writing like how I want to write kind of mm -hmm. things. And I want to say about senior year of high school, I started like what necessary noise became with a friend. It was like a two piece. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I was just doing a lot of guitar writing. I'd taken a little bit of music theory from my teacher, Mr. Liu. And um, I tried to figure out what was best, what worked best for me. So I spent a lot of time on my own figuring it out. And now I'm here. So <laughs> 10 years later, whatever that would be. <laughs> yeah, I think it's this interesting the drive that makes somebody a singer songwriter because a lot of times it's because you write songs because it's like therapy. You know, I've talked to artists, mm -hmm. they're like, you know, I have to write. I'm not just trying to write to be a be a, a, a pop star. I'm doing it because it helps me work out my life. Right. So, oh, yeah. Is that part of what it, you do. Because I found a lot of singer songwriters will say, like, you know, even if I never get anything on the radio, I write songs because it helps me work things out in my life. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest selling points of what I do is that it's a little autobiographical, but also kind of a storyline and the concept album stuff. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it's very therapeutic. I mean, it's very cathartic for me to write out um, some of my feelings and emotions. But um, it's also nice because I tend to displace some of that as well and not you know internalize it too much and putting it out into a different storyline is a little bit more beneficial for me than just like saying oh this is me what was me uh you know yeah <laughs> um yeah, <laughs> yeah that is that, that that's the singer songwriter trap sometimes it's like yeah. is everything like your story or do you go like dylan and, and yeah dylan and actually create other characters that people still try to trace back to you 
right? But yeah, exactly. but, but, but but you know, I think every time Dylan does something and it seems like it's somebody else, people say, "Well, that probably is him." Yeah, like, but Bob Dylan was such a storyteller. You know, that was his thing. Was like he he would he was able to craft a story and the words and very like esoteric weird words and like weird phrases and stuff that were very visual and colorful. Yeah, then, but, but even when you get to like blood on the tracks, yeah, which is supposed to be about him, it's still like in this third person. Yep, it is, and and, and it's like it's supposed to be about his breakup with his wife, but he's talking about going out to the Midwest and being a cook in, in a logger camp. And let me tell you, you know, something. Like... Um, <laughs> I one of my best friends, unfortunately, he passed away. He was an older gentleman named Chris Weber, and he actually worked with Dylan on blood on the tracks in the midwest in minnesota he owned a little guitar shop and yeah so i heard a lot of the blood on tracks uh stories from back in the day but yeah that was like a thing he did he went out to the midwest he went to minnesota and like i don't know about the logging stuff but like yeah but he create these like images like an idiot wind and things like that it's like okay is that really him it's supposed to be about him but it still seems a little removed which I think is the cool thing if you're a singer yeah. songwriter, you can kind of craft these stories that are about you, but then it's hard to pin down that it's you, then then it's very interesting. But um uh so, yeah. so we always like to ask about influences and reference points, and that always is kind of a little dodgy because people don't want to be pinned down. No, but yeah, you know, who 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 really were were the people that inspired you? Um, let's see. I think growing up, um, one of the biggest, the first influences was My Chemical Romance, uh, the Black Parade and stuff. That was like what got me really into music. Uh, System of a Down, too. Um, trying to think. Green Day a little bit later. But that was like a big thing. And it, it's kind of all come full circle because when you're you're a kid, you like something. And then you're told you're not supposed to like something. Like oh, yeah. My Chem was cringy. So then I hated My Chem. And then I kind of came back around. I'm like, oh, no, it's pretty. It's pretty rad. <laughs> and um, I, t- I draw a lot of influence from that. It's just the creative songwriting aspect of things. Um, trying to think. Uh, I mean, even just I take from a lot of different like sources like. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't like the I like. No, a lot no, of, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of times I, you know, people want to pin somebody into a genre and I do have ask like a like writing style genre questions. Yeah. But no, even my own stuff, I call expansive sound. And yeah. the reason I do that because like if in electronic music, you know, everybody thinks you're a DJ or everybody thinks it's EBM or, or trance. And I'm kind of like, no, like I'm talking about electronic music that goes back to like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Genesis. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It goes back to like, you know, Funkadelic and, and, yep, and Funkadelic. Stevie Wonder, Wonder songs in the key of life. I'm talking about that that kind of synthesis where somebody's using you know, like a Yamaha GS1 or or like yeah. a Dream Machine or they're using the Prophet 5 or the Jupiter 8. And we're not just talking about like samples or CDJs. We're talking about like classic, you know, modular modes or ARP 2500s or 2600s. That's the kind of music I, I kind of grew up in. Um, and it goes everywhere from Sun Ra, you know, a jazz band yep. like that to to you know you know gary newman you know or brian eno you know you can kind of go yep. that that kind of direction and it's very wide you know it's not nar- as narrow as people try to make it now right exactly i think to, you know a lot of additional pop stars today drive uh or de- sorry not drive derive from different musical inspirations and i think 
especially nowadays with pop it's um and rock too it it's more like taking from a culmination of sources like you know i could also be like i just mentioned like in my genre what i like but i also really like stuff like i don't know like coltrane or kamasi washington and then i'll listen like you said funkadelic but i'll go around and listen to like pantera or i'll listen to like acid bath and i'll be like this is sick or like <laughs> corpse grinder or something like cannibal corpse but then i'll like go the next day i'll be like oh let me listen to mozart for a little while so i, yeah, I, mean, I really I just... like listening to different things and um also i mean there's different aspects of it like what do i take away from this lyrically what i take away from this songwriter aspect or like you know musicality of stuff and then what do i also take away from it from an engineering standpoint which is where i'm really at in my life now because i'm editing these records so well, yeah it's kind of like the george martin fifth beetle thing because yeah. a lot of people still bring up the beatles even this yeah. far into history just because the kind of that george martin fifth beetle idea mm -hmm. is that what i like about and i saw a documentary on george martin and what was really interesting he was going on about like uh you know sergeant peppers and rubber soul and he was saying you know i the beatles met me and they knew I used to work on Peter Sellers comedy records. Mm -hmm. And the thing about the Peter Sellers comedy records that he used to do had backward tape loops, mm -hmm. all these overdubs, That's all cool. this, all this, all the techniques they ended up using on like Sergeant Sergeant Peppers. Peppers. Yep. Yeah. And, and the Beatles actually dug that. So they came into the relationship with him knowing that he did that kind of stuff and eventually started to incorporate it. And he also talked about it in terms of sound paintings. Yep. And he said, well, I could, I really like Monet. And he said, and I like the idea of a sound painting because I could have just recorded the Beatles like they were in Berlin. Yeah. Right? Or I could actually interpret them and create this like studio version of them. That's a sound painting. Yeah. Maybe you can't cool. play it live, but you can do in the studio something you can't do live. And that becomes like a sound painting. Yeah. That's very cool. And I, and I think a lot of people now with their DAWs, that's what they do. They basically do what George was doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like yeah, it was a lot harder. It was a lot harder to do that, you know, back yeah. then with like, you know, your restrictions. But I always believe restrictions breed creativity as well. So like I feel like even though we have DAWs and, you know, Pro Tools and stuff today, it's not we can't quite get the sound that we got back then. We try to replicate it. Like it's why us guitarists still use vacuum tubes in our amplifiers or this is a tube mic, you know, from yeah. Yeah. Neumann 47. It's not an actual Neumann, but they use Neumann 47s. You know, like we're still yeah, trying to get that's, that. That's why I'm a big believer in like hardware sense. Mm -hmm. Um, just because I use Moogs, just because analog sense like Moogs have such character, and like and just every day I turn it on, it acts different. And actually, I use yes. my sense to like inspire what I'm gonna do because yep. I don't try to tame my Moog and make it do what i want i kind of like okay what's it giving me today right and i oh i can go with it i'll go with the direction it gives me and then i find that that actually gives me a lot of inspiration if i just let my my modular sense just turning them on one day and like not using them warmed up or using them warmed up it is like act different and if, but if you you know if you go start playing with the cv and then suddenly boom the sound design drives the song and you really didn't know where you were going to go um but yeah. but it kind of becomes the, the an integral part of the song i know you can do it on a dog but there's something about 
actually using a CV on a hardware synth that makes you do things that are maybe more immediate because you have all those controls. In yeah, front absolutely. Of you. I agree. And that in itself is why I'm still kind of a hardware guy because I, doing all those controls, you have no idea. It's like a guy on a Hammond organ using the draw bars and yep. using the pedals. It's like there's something about that immediacy of doing that that can drive the song. It can make you make a choice. That yep. if something's really buried in the menus, how you how would you ever really do that? Probably yeah, not. exactly. Probably yeah. not. Yep, I'm I'm on the same board. That's why I got a couple thousand dollars worth of preamps behind me. It's like, yeah, hey, yeah. Man, I could I could emulate a Neve 1073 or I could have a 1073. You know, it's like it's a yeah. big difference. You know, it's nice. Yeah, to, I think it's like having a Neve. Off. Yeah, having that Neve technology. I mean, I use some that that uh that um uh stuff from Soyuz microphones is kind of kind of got that, yeah, yeah i got some of their preamps and stuff i got a launcher that i've been using heavily on vocals because it just makes that kind of the analog nature of circuits is like it just creates something really beautiful and, yep. uh, even though it's electronic it just seems like that that when you get to analog circuitry or you get to the old schools you know solid state stuff it just seems to have a character Mm -hmm. That's like the same as like making a choice of a guitar, right? Using a Telecaster or a Stratocaster or whatever. You make a choice to wonder what the pickups are, what, what, how it's going to behave is like it, it behaves different, Yep. you know? And, and I think that's the, you know, the, and the limitations sometimes, like you said, I think like I mentioned, like limitations can drive creativity. Like yeah. if you have too many choices, sometimes it's good to narrow your choices. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, sir. That's right. <laughs> I believe that. So, yeah. So one of the things I also like to ask <clears throat> is um, like what kind of workflow process? Because, you know, people are in the DAW. People go to a recording studio. People have their own recording studios. They work with producers. So I guess if you start at that, you have your own home studio. Do you ever go to bigger studios? Uh, what kind of DAW do you use? Maybe get in that kind of frame. frame That's of a good question. question. Um, three years ago, well, I, I want to say I've been recording for quite a while since about 2012, 13, but I wouldn't say that was recording well, <laughs> um, about 2012 or 2013, I started learning how to record. I actually sat down with like the logic, a uh, pro at the time nine manual, and I was just trying to figure it all out. And I was just clipping preamps, doing terrible things. <laughs> it was, it was bad. Um, <laughs> about three years ago. I decided, you know, I'm going to work on this big body of work. I've been dreading it for a while. I've been like creating the songs, but now I have to put it to paper. And I'm, I already have like the concept in mind. I just had to actually like do it. And I knew it was going to be a daunting process. I'm like, I might have to do this until I'm like 27 or 28. And now that number moved to 29 or 30, unfortunately. But, um, basically I found that while doing all this home recording stuff, I wasn't getting the results I wanted. Um, I kind of set myself up for failure though. Cause I'm like comparing my records to my heroes as records or like not even my heroes, sometimes like just really good sounding records that are like standards. Yeah. So I decided, okay, I need to look for, you know, I can't play drums that well. I programmed all the drums. So I, I found a drummer who's one of my heroes and I had him play on the record. So it's only myself. I wrote and performed everything except for the drums, which I still wrote, but then I had him like go in there and Jaredize yeah, and make yeah, them. It's nothing like a real drummer. I mean, I, did, oh, no. I think yeah. the Motown stacks 
sound kind of can show you what a really classic drummer can do. Yeah. Even like jazz. If I get into bands like Sun Ra and like Davis and Coltrane, you know, the the techniques of jazz drummers and soul drummers from the Motown, like, you know, the Purdy Shuffle and stuff like that, is the stuff that the techniques they have that I, you know, I could have my 808 and I could do something really cool, uh, 727 or 9, you know, or even a Lin, a Lin drum. But if I ever go work with the drummers I work with, just their ability to do stuff on cymbals. And right. I, yeah. It's like, okay, well, I just throw out what I did. And it's <laughs> funny, of- yeah. It's funny because I actually know a lot of, like on paper, I know the technique. I know you need to have cymbal control and, and I know how you need to hit the snare. I know what you need to do, but I physically can't do it. I just suck with, like, I can play yeah, a okay. good beat. Mm-hmm. I just can't perform what I want. If you're yeah, you want that, that you want that Motown drummer or that Stax drummer or that that actually yeah it's do more it. complicated stuff yeah so. do it yeah it's not about like having a sax player or just trying to do it on a Kronos right yeah you know and you could do what you could and you could even write it in the DAW but once you get like a really good baritone or alto guy they're gonna blow it out it's like it's like it's like if I write my baseline on my Moog my Moog baseline can be very good. Right. right, but if I get a guy that plays like Bootsy, he's yeah. gonna blow it up. <laughs> he's just gonna, yeah, you yeah. know, it's just like why? Like I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, Bootsy Collins, dude, that's <laughs> good. Bootsy's but, um, I at that point I had a drummer, and I was like, okay, this is great. He's for the record only because he's not gonna perform live because you know he he wouldn't want to do that because he's this dude. Mm-hmm. But um yeah basically he recommended a guy a couple guys and I I immediately went with Sean who's my engineer um Sean basically if without him I wouldn't have a record though cuz like he was showing me a lot of the ropes like the first day I went over there I, we just kind of compared notes on stuff and he's like your mix is so fuck freaking loud <laughs> it's like it's really it's really bad he's like yeah, but he's like, hey, you, you know, like, here's what you need to do kind of stuff. And he and I are really good friends. I wouldn't be anywhere without him. So he owns a very, very nice studio um, in Calif- in the Los Angeles area. It's like Inland Empire, Riverside. So having to go to an actual studio for like, because re- honestly, you can't record drums in this in this room or the spare room I have here. It just yeah, doesn't sound good. Like, yeah, studio is kind of required yeah. for drums. So we, yeah, we went to the studio. We knocked out what are we at forty eight or fifty songs throughout the course of a year. Um, it, Jared put in a lot of work. Sean put in a lot of work. I obviously put in a lot of work there. But it's uh, it's a to go back to your original question. I do a lot of stuff here as well at this home mm-hmm. studio because I ended up getting a lot of gear recommendations from Sean and upping my studio over the last two years, three mm-hmm. years. But there's nothing quite like going to a studio where it's already prepped for you, but also not having to be the producer because I'm I'm always in production mindset. I record other artists as well. Yeah. It's not it's really hard to switch caps. Most people can't do that um, yeah. without being biased. I, I'm surprisingly OK at switching hats, but it, it's nice to have a guy sit there on a, in the chair, press the buttons for you while you just work on whatever you need to work on and be like, Hey, your guitar part, you know, like, uh, not change it, but like you need to hit harder or you need to like, yeah. Just like having, having that producer, having an engineer, give you that, that what I like about producers and engineers, 
that, that I really respect are the ones that enhance what you are doing yeah. and don't try to turn you into what they do. Right. Yeah, the, of course. Because there's some producers like they'll just mold somebody in, they'll make a sound and that's their sound. Everybody gets put into that box. And, and that, that's not exactly what I'm, 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 that's why I'm indie because I kind of do what I want, but like, like, like anybody that takes my sound and actually enhances it and it makes different choices, but it's still like basically 90% of what the demo is. It just sounds better. Right. It's, it's like yeah. somebody put it on the knee board and fixed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I think... what... Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's what I like. You know, I saw a documentary about the whole like uh, Sound City. And, and oh, yeah, Sound City. That's a great. Yeah. yeah and uh, just showing cool. you what a really good boarding engineers can make up, like, you know, Fleetwood Mac rumors, you know, it's because yep. it was on that board and because you had really good sound engineers making choices using a, a really good board like that. Um, you know, that just makes like the cl those classic albums sound so yep. good, you know. Yep, it's it's uh, I was just thinking of Sound City. It's really cool. Like I I really like that. That that board is legendary too. But like it's what everybody strives for, you know. Now it's just the date rolls out. he has it. Like like I own it. I got it. <laughs> so actually, the drummer who's on the record. Actually, I think he told me that he helped. I don't know if he's on film for it, but he helped move with Dave. Oh, to get move it out of the yeah. Sound City to Dave's house. Huge. He said he had like ten beefy guys or something yeah, like that. Like that's a massive machine yeah. and it just they kind of goes back to like the, the moog type of idea because that thing is built like a moog yeah you know, it's, it's all like that old circuitry uh yeah. you know it's just there's something about the warmth of that it has its own kind of life you know it, it, it it's just and you can do all kinds of cool stuff with digital and i got digital wavetable sense yeah and i've got you know fm type sense but yep. i really do like my you know my mini moog and my grandmother and you know some of the older like like uh <clears throat> arp type stuff there's something about the way that stuff sounds you know yeah uh, this kind of blends an answer from one of your previous questions as well and on top of what you just said so working in the music industry i wear a lot of different hats so i'm a musician and audio engineer but i'm also like a technician so like i work on guitar amplifiers and i work on like guitars themselves and some analog gear i've worked on but like it's really interesting to see what they put inside you know like especially mm -hmm. these recreations of like neve 1073s or like um i'm looking at the shout out to coil audio who makes amazing preamps like these are all based on western electric um preamps like from i think it was like the 40s or 40s, yeah, 40s yeah. Or 50s. and it's just those octet tube sounds and like i seriously went through four or five years of just demoing different preamps right. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, preamps and and mics as well. And I just could never I got kind of a higher register. So I'm like a, a tenor counter tenor kind of thing. And mm -hmm. I, I naturally know that I have like a little bit of a, a peak at about 10K and about 4K in my voice. You control it. You're trying to like and it's really hard to control on the fly. But I know that like certain preamps like the 1073 is amazing, but I still have like a little bit of grit. I put this tube this coil preamp on there and immediately just like perfect it just, it just perfect. fixed you like you're it, so you don't have yeah. to worry about it 
yeah, it's just like, I wish I could pull up an image. I'm so stoked on these. I had to wait like a year to get them. <laughs> and they're so expensive, but like, it's so worth it. It's having the, the yeah. analog gears, you know, I sound like I'm just going on an analog gear rant. But No, but I was like, I was talking to a guy and we were really into some old Frank Sinatra, right? Yeah. And, and the kind of mics that he was using, right? Yep. And yeah. just, the, just the sound that, yeah. that he could get. And I'm like, damn, that's like... It's like when you listen to like Motown guys, like in, in this, some of the stuff they're using and it's not as perfect as some of the stuff today. And that's where I kind of point out to people like, I don't necessarily want that perfect. You know, yeah. I think it's the imperfections. If I listen to like, you know, XL on Main Street and I listen to Keith Richards and how he's playing, mm-hmm. you try to put that in a doll on timing on BPM. He's not going to be all over the place. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, but that in itself is, or even listening to Funkadelic or Sun Ra, that's what I try to get at when I'm talking to other people that I produce with. It's like just being obsessed with trying to be perfect on your DAW is not necessarily the goal. And like, I'm like, why don't you listen to Sticky Fingers? Why don't you listen to some Sun Ra? And that's what I'm talking about. Like, having, allowing those happy accidents. Yeah. Kind of going with it and letting it serve the song don't serve the DAW, you know, yeah, exactly write the song. And if there's things you want, you can do in the DAW, that's fine. Use it as a tool, but don't let it control everything that you're doing, you know, to yep. make this kind of antiseptic sound. It's like not, you know, as emotional as I think the music to me is emotional. Yep. And if you get too into the computers, you can get the, you can edit the emotion out. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's correct. That's why uh, you don't overtune your vocals kind of thing. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. From a technical kind of standpoint. Um, but so like you're working on this big concept um, of have, because of the pandemic, this I always ask people, have you maybe before you it happened, were you playing live or are you just working on this project as like a solo project and you haven't played live? There's been a lot. Yeah, there's been a lot of lineup changes. So um it was only live for a while. Uh, I want to say I moved to the Bay Area in 2000, oh boy, 15 or 16. And I worked at Guitar Center for a while and I met a few people. And yeah, we had played live. That was all I had. They're like, where's the recordings? Where's the recordings? I was like, it's kind of like that white bear of like, it's going to, you know, it's just hovering over me at all times. Like, oh God, I got to get the recordings done. But I was so busy doing live stuff. Yeah, it's um, hard if you play live all the yeah. time to, to get it down. Sure. So I had to take a couple mental health breaks during 2018 and 19, but that was three years ago, pretty much from where I, I basically started recording in like really hardcore recording in 2019 for the project. Um, Originally, it was only going to be like an album and a half, but it kind of mm-hmm. turned into more than that. Um, With the pandemic... It's interesting because we were ready to play live. I got a group of guys um, to do some of my live stuff in yeah, 2020 and pandemic hit. We had to take a break, but I still made them rehearse every week and they got tighter and tighter and tighter. So finally, last month, we just like had a return, a couple return shows. Two days ago was like our last run of that series of stuff. So now we're just going to do some sparse gigs here and there. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it's been an interesting process with the pandemic. It's not that big of a deal. I just acted like, you know, hey, let's be careful, but we need to continue rehearsing and practicing. So, Yeah, I mean, I think what's been interesting about the pandemic with all the bands and artists I've been interviewing, 
for the last two years is it's given people this kind of less pressure so they could actually work on their dream project. Correct. I've, I've talked to a lot of artists where like, I didn't know if I was ever going to go into this idea because I was like on the road and I was like, oh, I was just, just doing like Spotify singles. And then suddenly, oh. oh, I can actually take some time and do like an album oriented thing or an EP oriented thing. And I see a lot of bands actually taking that direction, you know, still making a single for Spotify, but, but actually trying to build albums. Right. Um, which is, I think is fantastic because that's the way, you know, I grew up like, again, as a child of the seventies, that's my preferred way to listen to music. <laughs> right. Two things on that too. Um, the first one is just like with, I, I would have not physically been able to, uh, get my project started. So like the, the foundation foundation, the foundation of where the record lies is the drums. You start with drum. I mean like the songwriting, obviously you write and whatever, but like I need to record the drums first. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Jared is in a bigger band, the drum guy, um, that I have, mm -hmm. and he would have not been able to, like, he was going to be touring. He would have never, never had him. Yeah. He literally, I literally would not have had him because he had this huge tour coming up and he was not going to be able to do it. And he was rehearsing with the guys and it was already hard enough as is, but then the pandemic hit and I'm really careful how I say this because I was very blessed that it kind of happened around yeah. that time that I was able to get him and work. So if that wouldn't have happened, if we wouldn't have had that break, you know, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. But the second thing is like, I've seen a lot of musicians like fall off the planet because of it, you know, and I hate seeing that, but yeah, um, that's the bad part. it's kind of a making break. Like, yeah. It seems some of them were like, yeah. So into that live, you know, I think what I've run into musicians yeah. are, there's certain type of musicians like they, they play like New York and I'm close to New York and I've been in that scene and the scene is what drives them. Right. Yeah. So playing every night in some small place, you know, like a CBGB type of size, right. That's what they, they like, they need that crowd feedback. Right. right? The whole band kind of requires that to feel like into the scene and why they even do it. Right. It went soon as they get the pandemic happened and they couldn't, do that and live streaming doesn't give you that feedback right then they become like not able to have fun right and, and if you're not having fun with what you do because you're doing it because you don't do your a day job you're doing the music because you, it's passion right mm -hmm. and then when you lose the thing that gives you the passion then you kind of like get disinterested and there's some people who are not as much singer songwriters or more like full band performance kind of need that stage have had a big problem. I've had bands that I haven't been able to even get on my show because they can't, they, their whole dynamic is playing live. Yeah. And I get that, you know, um, it was not fine. Mean, luckily, not luckily. I don't even know. Coincidentally, 2020, 2019, I was not playing live anyway. Cause I m moved back to Iowa for a few months just to take care of some stuff up here. And, um, I was already out of it. And it felt really weird because at that time I was gigging like all the time. So, mm. you know, it's it's a different kind of transition and playing live now. You know, I don't know if you've been playing live recently. It's kind of weird. Like California, yeah, it's, it's hard to get people gone to out. I haven't been to New York. I've, I've just been doing my festivals. Yeah. Because um, I used to go to Boston and New York and I just haven't been able to get a gig that's worth you getting the U-Haul yeah together they could get there <laughs> i got my road cases i can move all my stuff all this stuff you got road cases for yeah 
and I, I got a roadie and everything, and I even have a booking agent that can get me to Europe, but I can't nice. get there because, yeah. like, like as soon as I got my booking agent, we were going to do stuff in Asia and Europe, and then the pandemic came and said, "Oh, guess what? I can't do it." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then I just switched to just doing podcast, which gets me out there in front of That's an cool. audience and doing festivals. I do these online festivals with my podcast guests and I play too. And um, I've got everything in here with the like, cameras and OBS and all this stuff. So I can run like, you know, multi-camera shows like with That's different cool. angles and stuff. And it, I just found that, you know, I just, I'm living with that world now until I can get back to playing in New York um, and get, get, you know, get, I would love to go to Seoul. Love to go. I've actually lived in Tokyo in 2004 to 2006. Love to play in Shibuya oh, wow. cool. uh, or Ginza or any of those places. Um, yeah, because the, the Japanese scene was so fantastic because I was just like, I was just so amazed at how, how they would interpret multiple genres. I yeah. could go to different parts of Shibuya and see a band channel in Sunra and then go and see a band sounded like, like, like Todd Rundgren. Or a band sounded like you know ACDC or or Led Zeppelin or some kind of like Asian Kung Fu Generation, like a, a, a unique like Japanese rock band. That's cool. That has their own dynamic, and I'm like, wow, they were so cool. I was just like very. I was just going out every night after my day job, and, and just hanging out at the Izakayas, and it's like, damn, these bands are so good. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's really rad. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. I I would love. I I want to play in J in Japan again because I mean Japan is just fantastic. But um, yeah, it's definitely a goal. We just gotta kind of wait for the pandemic to finally yeah. come to an end. <laughs> yeah, eventually we'll get we'll get out of this. Yeah, I want to get into yeah. the politics of it, but there's a whole yeah, thing. I know, right? But um um, so so have you done collaborations? But since you've been yeah. working on this big project, you know, maybe that's the collaboration, but do you like guest on other people's records or have people guest on yours? How do you work with that kind of collab concept? So I'm pretty, the, this whole record is my body of work. It's pretty much, it's going to be my life work. I already know that. Um, hopefully I can follow up with it sometime, but I don't want to think about that. But so it's, it's very personal and it's like, there is only a couple people that I would allow to be on my record. If that, I know that sounds conceited, but Jared was one of the only people I would have let on my record. Like there's pretty much nobody that I would have been like, I was, I was just very comfortable with him. He's a very comfortable person to work with. Um, I've done a couple. So that video that you, that we played, Mm -hmm. The people who filmed that are in this band called, I always shout them out. I called in the background one word and they are amazing. Um, amazing musicians. They did a live video at uh, Sean, my engineer's studio, and um, they just blew me away. One of the, one of the best drummers I've ever seen as well. And mm -hmm. I did a couple covers with him. Um, funny enough, we did a cover of one of the bands that Jared plays on. Well, that Jared's in, we played a cover of one of the songs for them from them. So it was just this weird, like cool thing. But uh, that's about the extent of the collaboration. Oh, no, no, wait. I did some guest vocals on a local bands from here uh, called Stay Out. I did some guest vocals there on a couple different songs and did some higher harmony stuff. And I don't know, like I'm not not open to collaborations. It's just kind of been like. Yeah, if it's your, it's like if it's your vanity project, like Peg, yeah. you know, I used to be in bands. 
I yeah. used to be in these kind of punk kind of bands yeah. and like uh, progressive rock type of bands. And I would, you know, I was the keyboard player and I was like a primary writer because like, that's what I like to do as a keyboard player. I like to write. Right. And, and, but when I was in bands, I was like, I was just a piece of that band, like a band. Right. Oh, they want to have some Hammond B3 or they want to have like a DX7 sound. So, okay, fine. They bring me in and I play. And it's not like the peg. I would just, yeah. I would just go into what they're doing and, and kind of be in their motif. But the whole idea of peg is like that's my my vanity thing. That, yeah. That's my sound. And it's really much a one person project. From time to time, I'll bring a guitar player in, I'll bring a bass player in, I'll bring a drummer in if they're kind of in tune with what I'm trying to do. Um, and I have actually done collabs where I've actually, you know, had this one with this Los Angeles um actress or actor. And mm -hmm. we did a, a combined album because she was kind of in sync with where I was going and became this kind of peg, all control K was this lady I worked with. Cool. And uh, we did a, we did an album um, together. And, uh, you know, if I find somebody that like, we're in the same space and they think it's going to work, then I'll do like a collab like that. Um, That's cool. But uh, most of the time, like I, it is, it is like, you know, I understand uh, you want to have your singular like vision right as yeah as, that's the thing that you're trying to get across and that's why singer songwriters i like to talk to them yeah because then compared to somebody who's being produced right and you get in a record there's like 10 different producers and it was like you know or like the one guy but it's not really they didn't even write the songs like there's all these other people who wrote the song i like to know that the artist i'm listening to is, a, is like a neil young or like a you know james taylor or something that they Carol King, you know, that that's where I kind of my head's at is like, I like to know that that's their story that they wrote it that that's their vision. Yeah, exactly. As a fan. I mean, that's what I tend to go toward is music like that. Yeah. You know, that kind of reminds me I'm it's not too much switching topics here. But like talking about like how you listen as a listener, um, as a musician as well, going kind of back to the Spotify thing. And I know that was one of your questions, like, it's interesting just seeing how people write for singles versus albums and like, you know, how the pandemic might have changed a little bit of that. You know, um, I think there's like different parts to it. There's like the singles, then there's the EPs or, you know, like whatever they call them. There's different words for it, like playlist or uh, what is it? Mixtape. Yeah, Mixtape. There we go. Yeah, that's, that. that's the other form that you yeah, can kind of get an album through. <laughs> yeah. And then album and LPs and then double albums and then like, a concept album is like another part of that, but like, like think, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think like that's played such a huge influence on me, like Pink Floyd's The Wall, and you know, even like Black Parade, something more modern, uh, or Tommy's The Who. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's interesting to see for myself. I've been trying to write, I've been doing singles because that's the market we're in, but also mm -hmm. like kind of like you were saying like it's a little bit more of like this is my project and this is my sound i want to make an album but also making it my it's a really uh big thing that i strive for that i want to make them approachable yeah, so i want yeah. to make each song sound like you know not just like oh it's like this 30 second uh droning noise or something and that leads <laughs> into this thing it's like i want each song to like have an impact on its own yeah. but yeah yeah, I think the thing about the whole playlist world, it reminds me that we've kind of gone back to this 1950s thing, right? Where, yeah. like, you know, even if you look at Motown, as I always go back to an example, is they would take, you know, a song 
Smokey wrote it and then they give it to the Thames, they give it to Four Tops, they give it to the Supremes. They just run it through all the bands they had. Right. And if it didn't work with one band, they try it with another. And it didn't matter that it came out the week before, they tried it again. <laughs> and, and it was just like, it was kind of like a playlist because most of the hits eventually got collected on, on records that weren't really like albums. They were albums, but it was just like a kind of spotty kind of collection of the hits. You know, and then eventually you get like what's going on. You get Stevie doing like his like you know inner visions and doing you know uh, all, you know songs in the key of life. They start getting guys who start writing in the seventies album format. But before that, everything was just a hit. You know, it's just yeah. a single, and it seems like we're in this kind of singles mode where everybody's yeah. just trying to do a two minute, three under three minute song to turn into a like a Pepsi ad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it just fluctuates back and forth, you know, the music industry. I, I work for a music consulting company. It's another hat I wear. I work some operations for that for an X record label exec. And he uh, he's really taught me that sh stuff changes all the time, all the time. Like everything changes all the time. Like, you know, Spotify yeah. is the biggest thing now. Who knows 10 years from now what it's going to be? Well, yeah, TikTok is. is TikTok kinda, is good. Yeah, that they're the kind of this kind of like you know x brand because suddenly you get some guy doing some strange thing or some girl doing some weird tiktok and it's not something anybody would have thought is the trend and then that becomes the trend and then they get signed and then they got this whole different sound and you didn't even see it coming because it just came out kind of like the underground um, yep. it's kind of like youtube like a lot of bands <clears throat> like even like odd future collective and um uh, you know, they, they came out of that doing their own YouTube videos and then they finally got, you know, they got picked up, but they were just kind of doing mixtapes and YouTube videos, just doing whatever they felt like. And yep. then they started getting people picking them up like a YouTuber and like, Oh wow, this, these, this odd future thing is this Wolfgang guys. These guys are doing something. Um, yeah. you know, like Brock Hampton's the same kind of thing. These collectives sometimes come out and they, they kind of drive the market cause they had to, the guts, the kind of this, I'm going to do it the way I want. And if the fans come along, that's cool. You know, it's kind of like yep. what happened with Sub Pop and yeah. SST and IRS, you know, back in the day. It's like, that's where I was really into the Sub Pop, you know, SST label, small labels. Right. Um, that I, I was doing like radio stuff for college radio. And like anything Sub Pop had, I'm going to play it. <laughs> anything that's yeah. on SST, I'm going to play it. If it's on IRS, I'm going to play it because those guys are making good choices on the, the right. like emerging acts. And I wanted to support that because I was tired of this, what was in here and like, you know, not that I don't like Aerosmith, but yeah. I don't want to hear it every day. Yeah. I, I get that. <laughs> so uh, I'm just glad that we have these kind of underground areas like SoundCloud and mixed yeah. and other places that you can, you know, I get so many ideas to interview people just going through my SoundCloud. Right. Going on Instagram and seeing how many new bands show up. That's cool. You know? And it really, the Instagram has been my primary use uh, booker for my show. Yeah. I will go find all these new bands and I'll find it. It only has like 3,000 fans. Yeah, exactly. But, but then they sound really kick ass. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I like it. Like, oh, I'm going to give them a shot because I think they're cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's cool. I think that I think that's how you build like a scene, you know. Yeah, like, exactly. A lot of it, uh, you know, with the internet and stuff, you know, you don't have to rely on a local scene as much. But you know, 
Yeah, you can kind of find like bands that are doing like I'm big time into that kind of Brian Eno, you know, Berlin yeah. craft work type of idea. Uh, and anytime I see a band, you know, if they're in Iceland or in Australia and they're doing and they happen to be doing that or wherever they are, and I'm like, oh, I want to talk to them. <laughs> right. And then I didn't like, like being like this worldwide, you know, kind of synth wave, dark wave. Like, oh, these guys are doing what I like, so I'm going to talk to them. Or, or even if it, like I listen to like a death metal band in like out right. of California or something. Oh, I like their I like the way they're doing because they remind me of Black Flag. Sure. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what are your uh, thoughts about um, like the future of the music industry? Because you're like in it in different levels, um, different hats that you're putting on. Yeah. So, I always ask this kind of kind of a wide uh, question, like, what are your thoughts about the future of music? I mean, that kind of blends in the last question. I, honestly, like, it just it changes so much that it's it's kind of like playing what if all the time, you know. Um, I just tend to, I think the future of the music industry is always going to be dependent upon the the younger generation. Like, they're going to always set the standard, um, and I think I'm, I'm on the cusp of being Gen Z. So I understand it. I try to use TikTok as much as possible. I just think it like from an emotional standpoint and like a psychological standpoint, it's draining and it's a time waster, <laughs> but I yeah. get why it's entertaining. Like um, yeah, I refuse to be different. on it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like one of those things that I need to post all the time, but I don't want to, and I don't want to be on it. So it's just like, Oh, you know, <clears throat> but like, I think like what I find with some bands, like, like Gen Z bands or, or, or even my my guys in my my category, but um, the problem I find with it is like I have a 22 year old daughter, and she's like, "Dad, you just can't take what you put for your YouTube video and throw it on TikTok." Right, has to be. You, you right. actually have to look at what they're doing, and and tr look at the trend, and and that's what. And I'm like, "Well, I don't want to spend all the time doing that because I'm trying to write I'm music." That's the biggest question is how to, you know, blend your artistry into because you lose it. Um, we have that discussion on these uh, these music mastery consulting call things for these people is like how much of this is draining your soul and how much of it are you not able to do like the stuff you love? Because there's a difference. There's a huge difference between like I hate to call out artists and so I'm not going to, but like <laughs> artists that are TikTok artists versus artists who are like actually trying to write like music and like an emotional thing like yeah labels yeah. are dead independent yeah. artists are that there's their answer for your future music stuff like yeah, even definitely. my record label executive x person that runs these calls who was the head of a huge label a couple of them says don't go that way go go to independent stuff independent, be an yeah. independent artist because they're not going to do anything for you they want they've always wanted money yeah, so yeah. I mean, they, yeah. It's not. It's not a good deal. I mean, when, when yeah. you see like Radiohead and Pearl Jam go go indie, yeah. you're like, like yeah. if they if they do a band yeah, like Wilco, awesome. Or those those kind of bands are gonna go that way. Then you're kind of like, okay, like they're big, like here my heroes, but I'm like, yeah, they can't get a deal, and they're fantastic. Like, how the heck am I gonna get? A deal? Well, do you remember when they released in Rainbows? Yeah, uh, Radiohead. Like that was the biggest shock. They're like, "Pay as you want." What the hell? Like that's not yeah. even a thing. They yeah. are like, say what you want about their music. If if some people don't like it, like I like it, but like I love it actually. But like 
what they've done for the music industry they're always years ahead of in the future well, i just love them because they remind me of like a, like what happens if you take that kind of yes genesis idea and go forward right yeah so they they to me like them and wilco they're both going in this progressive rock inspired direction but it's more modern and yeah. and i just like it's so fantastic Right. They don't really care. I mean, they never cared from the beginning. They're kind of like the way Genesis were created from art school guys, right? Right. And they just did what they thought was cool and what yeah. they thought was vital to them. Yeah. And then the fans found them. And, right. And I exactly. think that's that's my direction I like to go. Is just like that's the way I think. Like artistically, I like to drive that way, rather than trying to trend it. Now I understand why you want to trend the TikToks and the reels and all these other things that come up. But, but yeah, I think it's like the heart it, it, why I interview folks like you is this like the singer songwriter to me is the soul of music, you know, and that's where you can find like, to me, like the vital artists of the future, these emerging artists to have a voice and yeah. have something to say and not just a beat. Not that that's bad. It's cool to go out dancing and have a beat, but you know, I, I like, I like the, the depth of like an idiot wind. Yeah, or like the Neil Young, you know, like uh, you know anything he's done. He's like that's the kind of depth I like to get to. So you're gonna get that from a singer songwriter. Yeah, I agree. That's a very very good point. <laughs> so thank you for being on the program. Oh, I think yeah. we got a little bit long, but yeah, that's, that's what how it happens with me. every oh, time. <laughs> no, we tend to go an hour. That's what we do. And oh, there people you go. have told us, oh, you should only do 15 minutes, and we're like, uh, we're not oh, doing that. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Um, you know, thanks for having me on. It was fun. Um, check out the link below and whatever. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm hopefully going to get another release out here very, very soon. Um, great was the song I released last year. Exactly. Almost a year ago. You so. have a target date for the record. Do you still like, <sighs> <laughs> I beat myself up about it a lot. Um, I actually made I don't a post. Want to stress you out if you don't yeah, have. no, no. I made up. My mom does that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> she reminds me, like Jordan. We really want to hear your music. <laughs> um, but in a parallel, I made a post about this on Instagram. Yes, two days ago. Is that in a parallel world, I would have released it on two twenty two twenty two because that is a huge palindrome theme to like having yeah. things circle back around and just uh, um, just a lot of themes. It would have worked. A couple of days ago, but I'm still working on it. So I'm guessing uh, I'm going to say the end of the year. But there, yeah. here's the thing. Yeah. Three albums, 48 songs. I'm doing the math here and I've been working 12 to 16 hours every day on the song. And by the time I'm 30, I'll have all three records done. If I work 12 hours a day, that's just the math behind it. But, you know, maybe God intervenes and <laughs> makes a, a day 29 hours instead of 24. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it takes what it takes. You know, if you're working on so your your big, you know, project. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got this thing I've been working on called Dark Ghost. <clears throat> I was supposed to put it out in 2017, and then then I I boarded it, and I was like, I still love it. And, and the weird thing is, like, it has its own vibe, and I really wanted to release it, but then I I came up with other things, and then I just put it on the shelf. And I was like, I'm not putting it out. And now I've kind of gone way beyond where I was, but I still like it. And I keep on like uh, just agonizing. Should I release it? Cause it's like, you know, it's from 2017. Release like, it. <laughs> I think I should release it, but then you I'm have like, a, 
I'm so jealous of artists like you have a friend that has his record done. He's sitting on it. I'm so jealous of people like you. Like I'm constantly still working on this sh stuff. And it's like, God, man, if I had a record done, I would release it immediately. <laughs> so I don't know. Just work on it. See if it's see if it's relevant to you. And if it speaks to you, then I'll speak to other people. That's yeah, good yeah I guess I guess got to get back in my headspace to see if I should put it out. But yeah, I get I get it. It's like. Sometimes I want to go back and rework it. Then I said, no, I shouldn't, shouldn't touch it. That's what it was. I do what um, you want. Yeah. Do what yeah. speaks to you. You never know. But thank you. And your fans know we will be on Spotify video podcast within an hour. Uh, you wow. can actually watch this on the on the um, permanent links on Twitter, Twitch, uh, YouTube, and um, Facebook. Twitter, uh, Twitter is like the new thing. They actually have these new permanent links. Well, that allow you to actually watch the whole podcast, which is something new that we've been able to do through StreamYard. And um, yeah, I think only podcasters can do it, but um, yeah, cause you can't do it like by yourself, but um, it's through the, through this method. So yeah, if, if you, if Twitter is the way you like to, to watch things, uh, we do have the ability to, for you your fans to watch there. Cool. So, thank you. Whatever happened to that you know. 140 character thing, you know, <laughs> Twitter yeah, is really different weird. Now. Yeah, they even allowed it. You yeah. never know why they let let people do things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I take advantage when they let me do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, thank well, you. Good talking to you, man. Thanks again. All right.